0: Moms. I'm Nicole Hartman, and with us, Tina Matthews. How's it going, Tina? It's going well. We're excited to have a special
1: guest on with us today, Nico Kennedy. But before we get started, we just want to remind everybody that this is just a conversation. This is not medical advice. So let's get started.
0: All right, Nico, I'm going to introduce you here, okay? All right, Nico is a perinatal quantum biology practitioner certified labor and postpartum doula, and former online marketing and executive with a bachelor's of science in general science from the University of Oregon. She is the creator of Brighter Days, Darker Nights, a publication and membership dedicated to educating families and practitioners about the importance of circadian rhythmicity in pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Exploring the big question of how can we improve perinatal care has led Nico through a 17-year path of healing and discovery that motivates her to continual learning and experimentation at home and in work. Connect with Nico for custom workshops and coaching for yourself or your team or for virtual or in-person doula support. She lives in the beautiful Southern Oregon forest with her growing family and enjoys daily walks in nature to inform and nurture her being. I love that last part. I read I that too. several um, times today and I was like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. We're so excited to have you here.
2: Thank you. I'm really glad to be here.
0: I think of all the states, um, out West is is very, like, like in quiz, like I, I feel like I should go there. And I like the Oregon just seems absolutely gorgeous. So oh.
2: it's so beautiful. I definitely recommend coming over for a visit. Okay. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, okay. we have it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very diverse. Right, so let's the mountains. T- yeah.
0: We're <laughs> the, the same in everything. Maryland. We, we have, Here uh, in Maryland, uh, you know, like we, I am in Maryland, like where I live is very Western Maryland. So I'm closer to mountains, but in, you know, four hours I could be at the beach. So it's just like one of those, it's just a nice place. You know, I'm sure you feel the same. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. So let's get in here. So tell us a bit more of your story and then how did you find the world of circadian quantum biology?
2: sure definitely um well it's maybe kind of a unique story but also kind of a normal story i think for people that end up getting into this and so um i grew up in oregon and it's maybe kind of not the most typical upbringing that i had i um you know my earliest memories were like um running around outside in the forest like barefoot in the dirt like my family lived Um, off-grid for a while, so I remember actually, you know, like the wood-fired baths and like sitting, watching my dad write handwriting letters by candlelight and just different things like that. And so when I um, left home to go to college, I kind of experienced for the first time. And at that point, I started having immune system problems.
0: That's crazy. I'm not sure if you're it's... still
2: here. I just am seeing. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure if you could still hear me because yes. it kind of uh, flashed out. Okay. Super. So anyways. Um, so just to recap, and, when you
0: left yeah. when you left for college, that's when you started having some issues. Okay.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Um, so really bad hay fever Um. and then eventually allergic contact dermatitis, which is a really mysterious and frustrating condition to deal with because where you have your outbreak is not where you're getting... Your like you could get in contact with something anywhere in your body, and the out outbreak will always happen in the same place. And um, so, really tough to track down. There's no like tests you can do to find out what your trigger is. Um, but eventually, through um, my husband discovered Jack Cruz, and we started experimenting with um, blue light, you know, at night and getting rid of that. And so, at that time that I was having all that issues, I was working full-time online, working East Coast from Pacific, so online at 4.30 in the morning um, all the way through um, while also going to school and kind of was taking some online classes to balance family life and school. And then, um, so I didn't even know that it would heal that when, like, my allergies, I didn't even think that was something that was a possibility. I was just like, oh, well, let's try this because we're health nerds and we want (laughs) to, you know, this sounds interesting. And then eventually I kind of realized like, oh, hey, I haven't had an outbreak of allergic contact dermatitis in years. That's amazing. And uh, my hay fever is super mild. And um, I started applying the um, information to my work as a doula. I've always wanted to help families. And I was going to school thinking I'd become an OB Um, But I realized that I didn't actually want to go on that path. And then the further down the quantum biology route I've gone, the more I've realized that that schedule and lifestyle and there's so many things within that specific environment that um, I don't think that my health would handle it. I don't think that would be the best way that I could help families. So that's where I kind of ended up going into this alternative health, supporting families as a doula, especially in the home birth context. Um, And after my third baby, have you guys heard of third baby syndrome or? Um no, no please tell me <laughs> tell us <laughs> <laughs> sure um so i found this in one of my uh, in a midwifery textbook i read textbooks for fun <laughs> so um i was reading a midwifery textbook and I, I found this third baby syndrome i thought that's interesting and it is um like families when they've had um two really good births they ought, will kind of feel like oh this can't happen to us again there must be something that happens. Um, and so I uh, read this after having had my first, my third baby. And my third baby actually needed um, NICU support. I, have, I had a home birth, but uh, several hours after birth, she just couldn't get her breathing together. And so we transferred to the NICU and um, spent a week there. And that's when I kind of really got immersed in the NICU and and hospital and seeing how um, even like I knew from the outside that I didn't really want to be a part of it but being inside of it for that time was really informative and that was when um, I just dove really hard into all the research about how this applies to birth and birth work and wanted to do a better job of everything and so um. Yeah, I I researched for a while and then um, started publishing what I was finding and then discovered the quantum biology collective and took their certification program to kind of round out my learning and make sure that like what I was, uh, what I was finding through research and (laughs) experimentation was kind of like whole and complete. I'm looking for that like greater synthesis of information. And so that's about where I am. I finished that certification earlier this year. And um, yeah, that's, I think that's a pretty detailed bit of how <laughs> I got to where I am. Um, how did you uh, come to all of this seeking? Because you're both moms and applying this to your own lives, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's I think they're all such similar stories that it's like, you have tried all of the things and you noticed that the one thing never quite, you were never able to reach a level of, of healing. It was just management. And uh, I think it's just that, that idea of I'm just, I'm going to be curious and I'm just going to keep asking questions and it just keeps sending you, <laughs> keep getting more and more questions to answer. I and feel like you, there's the the mother's intuition too where you're like I know I'm missing something I right. know there's something else here mm-hmm. yeah and I think that's it that's that's the really like I I know something you know I, I don't just don't know what the something is anything. yeah mm-hmm. yeah so it's, it's you look at your kids or you look at your life and you're like well I don't this isn't this isn't right so I'm just going to just keep asking you know right mhm yeah so. so
1: we've seen like a lot of your work on Instagram. I think we've, I'm sure we've, all three of us, including the Instagram page for the modern circadian moms follow you. So we've seen like all of the circadian rhythm stuff, but we're really interested in your newer research about newborn jaundice and how circadian rhythm applies to that. So do, can you just kind of explain jaundice in case not everybody knows?
2: Yeah, sure. Um First, I wanted to ask, um, have either of you had a baby that had jaundice after birth? Um, I think five, five of
1: Oh Really? Five. I've had c section So, like, in my mind, I just feel like the amount of medications affect my liver. And for some reason, it just must affect theirs. I don't know. I don't know.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Have they needed um, treatment or just had... Yeah, but
0: not. No. Mine was just to the point that she, it was just sit him in front of a window, an open window. Yes. That was it. Yeah. yeah. My kids
1: were always like, oh, they're looking a little yellow. My second born, he had breastfeeding jaundice. So it just like kept getting worse and worse and worse. And we had to keep getting his levels taken, but we never needed the billy blanket or Mm -hmm. anything. We did same. We did sunlight.
2: Yeah. And did they do like the the test where they like go on the his skin to look at his levels or did they do the heel prick test? Heel Actually, yeah. heel. The heel pricks. Yeah.
0: His heel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So um jaundice is a buildup of pigments in the baby. So you can see it. You can see their um skin and eyes with a kind of like yellowish, oranges, orangish um coloring. And There's kind of a couple of different, like most cases um, are self resolving and it just goes away on its own as the baby ages. And then, um, but it also can escalate really quickly. If the pigment crosses the blood brain barrier then it can cause permanent damage. And so medical providers, um, like if you're in a hospital setting will be very cautious about jaundice, um, especially if the baby is premature then there's a much higher uh, likelihood of risk. And uh, there's a lot of research coming out right now. Um, I've read several papers coming out of China with fairly large um, groups of uh, data points. And they're finding that long-term developmental issues are associated with jaundice at levels that are generally considered mild. And so in the medical community they're starting to look at maybe we should be more serious about screening for jaundice. But at the same time, the treatment, the phototherapy treatment is really dehydrating and the treatment itself is associated with um, the same adverse outcomes. And so it's kind of hard to tease out what's coming from the treatment and what's coming from the jaundice itself in these large studies of hospital babies that have newborn jaundice. And I became interested in this as a circadian issue when I saw an interview from Jack Cruz where he was calling it out as a sign that the mom had circadian disruption. And looking into it, I was thinking like, oh, well, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I know that light is a treatment. And so jaundice is um, one of few conditions, if not the only condition where Light itself, with nothing else, is a treatment for it. And the way that works is that the light changes the shape of the pigment and turns it into a form that is, um, that the body can eliminate. Um,
1: and so the body, for mm -hmm. I, as I've heard, it eliminates like the more you can get the babies to poop, the quicker they're going Mm -hmm. to eliminate those the jaundice or whatever. Yes. Um, And for people listening to this who maybe their babies haven't had jaundice and you're thinking, oh, like babies get jaundice all the time. Okay, let's like rewind. You've just given birth. Like you're stressed out. You've just went through like a serious thing. It is stressful. Like, yeah, most of the time not serious, but it does take a toll mentally. If you can avoid it, that's Mm -hmm. a yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, avoiding it is definitely a good thing. And um people don't really um talk about that because most people, when they experience jaundice, they just get thrown into it um after birth. It's not something we think about in terms of uh prevention or risks. And so a lot it, when you get into it, it's just you're in the middle of it and there's not a whole lot of time to make decisions about it. And even if um, your baby doesn't get up to that level, if they start showing signs of it, then the providers start wanting to do the heel prick tests, which is not nice for the babies. Um, When I had a baby that was in a NICU and all of the testing I counted up, we were there for not very long, but they pricked her like 50 times over the course of that week, just because it was so many tests. you know, doing the blood levels for this and that. And, you know, just, you know, oh, we need to follow up. We we need to make sure. And if you start getting close to that level. Yeah. And so that's where if there are things that we can do before the birth to reduce the likelihood that the jaundice will arise whatsoever, because not all babies get jaundice. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, out of five kids, I had one in this as as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself: one does does the season that they're born in have anything to do with it? And two, he was my kid that was born with Down syndrome, and we'll we'll get to this later. I think about what which, which you had written about uh, in your course about redox. That that I'm I'm just I'm just slowly just. Trying to put some of these pieces together. And then I think back to to your little one who had jaundice. And then then the treatment as you're, you know, in the NICU, uh, she's constantly, or he, I don't know what the child is, is exposed to artificial light and constant, like, radiation of all things from being in a hospital. And so, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like the perfect recipe for disaster. You know, know, like, it's just, so please continue. Mm -hmm. You know, this is fun. (laughs)
2: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what time of year was your baby born that did he was born in
0: November? Was born in November. Yeah.
2: Yeah, The fall is a challenging time because of the reduced light. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the interesting thing about redox and jaundice, um, and so, redox is like the balance between pro-oxidant and antioxidant forces. And I think that a lot of people, once they get into alternative health, then they've heard of the idea that antioxidants are good for us, um, even if they don't understand exactly what it does. But basically, an antioxidant um, can donate electrons, and so electrons give us the energy to do work inside of our cells. And if we don't have enough electrons, we can't do um, as much work at a cellular level. And of course, cells are what make up organs. So if the cells don't work, then the organs don't work. And if the organ doesn't work, then the organ system doesn't work. And then, right. So it goes up and down from there, starting at this very small level of, um, electrical potential. So, um, when bilirubin, which is the pigment, um, that creates the yellow color in jaundice is, um, this is my youngest baby he's on the call (laughs) what number baby is that Um, for you he's my fourth and he's about three months old oh (laughs) he's adorable yeah adorable so thank you
0: (laughs) yeah happy baby okay it's the perfect mom show for moms just super it is you can hear like the little baby coos in the background i know
2: Right, yeah. And he, he just spit up all over my shirt. <laughs> um, yeah, well, comes with perfect. the job. Okay, right. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's see if I can remember my train of thought. So um, redox and the electrons, getting the electrons Um And so there's a big idea about getting them from food that we eat. And like if you eat antioxidant foods or there was also like a fad of the alkaline diet, which is another way of describing the same thing of acids and base where acids um, draw electrons and bases donate electrons. And so there's alkaline or antioxidant. And in the quantum biology, we're talking about gathering electrons from our environment or losing them to the environment. And these are all different ways of describing the same Um, phenomena of getting the right electrical potential in cells so that uh, cells and organs and organ systems and the whole being can function properly and have the energy it needs to do work. Um, So bilirubin, which is the pigment that gives um, the yellow color in jaundice, adults can get jaundice too, but um, newborns, of course, um, it can be more serious. Uh, So that pigment when it transforms between one form and another there's several different forms like we were saying the light transforms it um, and turns it into a form that it can eliminate well that process when it goes the other direction um, actually releases a huge amount of electron potential so So bilirubin itself can act as a really powerful antioxidant. It is actually complementary to glutathione, which is really famous. Um, So glutathione is protecting water-soluble proteins, if I remember, whereas bilirubin is protecting the fat-soluble membranes. So they are complementary in action. Um, So something that's interesting is that um, bilirubin is... um, one of the things that can actually change when with seasonal defective disorder and people not having enough daylight, then they're, we normally have a daily up and down of bilirubin rising and falling in our body using that antioxidant potential to keep redox in balance. And so people that don't get enough light, if they don't go outside um, and have other um, draws in their body, then they actually will lose their bilirubin um, cycling. And so it's, For newborn babies, there's a kind of new theory emerging that the the bilirubin in babies with jaundice is actually physiological and that the baby's body is really intelligent and it's using that pigment to um, balance their redox. So this is where it ties into circadian rhythm because melatonin is another really powerful antioxidant. And so if the melatonin in the mother isn't quite right, and then um, if there are breastfeeding challenges, um, babies don't make their own melatonin. They get their melatonin from breast milk. So particularly it has to be the nighttime breast milk because it's in the milk is an alternation between cortisol in the day and melatonin at night. And so that is actually the main thing that sets a newborn baby's circadian rhythm. So if breastfeeding gets off to a challenging start, um, if a baby is in the NICU where like sometimes, um, like with my um, baby, she had a breathing apparatus that made it so that she wasn't actually able to breastfeed. So she had her first breastfeeding at home, but once we were in that environment, I was... um, pumping colostrum for her, but they have particular requirements about how much the baby gets. And so they were giving her donor milk. And it's, I don't know that there's a process right now or the knowledge to get the daytime milk paired with daytime feeds and nighttime milk paired with nighttime feeds to get the right signals to those babies that are in that environment. Um, And then you talked about how they're bathed in the EMF frequencies there and the artificial lights. And there's actually been research done about grounding incubators. And when you ground an incubator, it immediately improves the baby's vagal tone, which is like a sign of their health and well-being. Uh, there. So it's totally possible that technology exists. It just hasn't been widely adopted. And the research shows that it's completely beneficial to do that. So that's where... There's a lot of factors that all kind of relate to this redox, circadian health, um, electrical frequencies, connection to nature that all ties into uh-huh. what can happen in the jaundice flow, whether it's going to be um, something that's a smooth physiological process or something that's going to build up to that that brain damage um, situation. And there so- are
1: yeah. Um, So let's say like a mother is home and breastfeeding and the baby just has like a, a little bit of jaundice, like nothing that needs hospital treatment, but the mom is flipping on artificial lights and watching TV all night while she's breastfeeding. You're saying that that can negatively affect
2: the jaundice. Right. Because so babies are not as vulnerable to the artificial light themselves because they don't make the, they don't have the melatonin production going yet but it will affect the level of melatonin in her breast milk so the circadian disruption in her milk and milk flow that is where um it's a big deal and then for that baby um it's also if she is then super tired from staying up too late and not getting up in the morning and not taking her baby out to see the light because since they the babies don't um need the darkness for the melatonin, the mom does, but they do need the bright light during the day to stimulate them. And then also that, that light is what's going to break that bilirubin down into the form that can be eliminated in the um, in the urine and feces. So that's, that's
0: yeah. it's a, it's a
2: compounding factor. The day and the night have to be right um, to have the best possible hormonal flow baby it's just fascinating
0: it, it is because time and time again and i tina i talk about this all the time is like the 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 design of it all is absolute perfection you know right. like nothing was left unturned and mm-hmm. uh it just it just keeps going back to you know the the mother and the child and just the exchange of so many things it's just uh it gives me chills just thinking about it mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so continue on uh, with the, let's talk real brief about what the typical treatment would be of a a child that, you know, needs, needs treatment for jaundice. Okay, perfect. So this,
2: um, this is something that's really interesting because the current treatment protocols that are used in the hospitals in the United States are based on expert consensus opinion, uh-huh. Um <laughs> <which> <laughs> sorry is, is means basically that the you know there's a board of people who have all decided this is what we're going to do. And it's not necessarily informed by research or the latest resource, research. And um I've read from other doctors who, you know, are experts in dealing with this that the guidelines um are actually kind of conflicting. And so depending on how a person reads it, it does. it's not a system that has like internal integrity. And so right now, basically, if a newborn starts presenting with jaundice, it's testing. And then the testing that they use, there are several different forms of jaundice, right? I was like, I was saying that there's the form that stays in the body. And there's the form that can be eliminated. And so the tests that they use generally include both forms, even though only one of the form has the potential to cross the blood brain barrier. Um, but they test including both. And that's partially the availability. The, the other kind of test that would just measure the dangerous form is, is available, but it's not really commercially used in most cases. So that that's one of the discrepancies in um, like what we could be doing and what we are doing um, isn't necessarily uh, harmonious and it could be different from place to place. What the level is that they would say, this is a threshold your baby needs um, to have the intensive treatment. And so the, in the U S we use phototherapy lights, which are basically just blue um, isolated blue lights. And in the research, um, filtered sunlight is equally effective uh, as the artificial lights. So it's not as specific, like it doesn't have to be artificial lights, but that's what's convenient and measurable. Aww. So that's what we use. Uh, in the, When I was doing this research, I've never heard of this, but in the Middle East, they actually use something called wet cupping, where they are actually kind of like scarifying on the child's skin to remove actual blood from them. And so by release, removing some of the blood volume, then there is a lower amount of bilirubin to process. And so they're just, oh, well, it can't come out through the liver. We'll just take it out through the skin. And it sounds really horrible, but it actually reduces the amount of time that the baby is taken from its mom. So... There is a case for that being a valid form of treatment, even though it sounds very horrible. That,
1: yeah, I guess that's like a risk versus benefit type oh, I just thing.
0: Lost, I mean, lost the mark. Yeah. Well, that was my uh, next question. So, so um, mm-hmm. okay, but no, I think Tina was saying yeah. that it's like that—that that risk versus reward kind of thing. You know, I'm go- going to do this, but it—it it, it allows the the baby to be with. The mom, and that's Mm -hmm. clearly important. Uh, Is it different? I guess I should ask too what is the prevalence of jaundice? Is it higher in the United States than it is elsewhere?
2: It's pretty much a global issue as far as I know. The rates from place to place will vary from like maybe as low as 20 up to 60. Um, And depending on the population, like if you're looking at premature babies, then I think it's up to like 80 percent. So it's a fairly large um, issue. And interesting. One of the uh, takes that I read on it that was really interesting was that... um, the rate of jaundice almost completely parallels the rate of vitamin B, B12 to C. And wow. the B vitamin cycles, folate and B12 and all, of, they all work together. So you can't really say like one without also talking about the others because they, they're all in cycles together. Um, but all of that actually is also very connected to the circadian rhythm um, because light will degrade folate in the skin, but there's also processes that need to happen in darkness. And so again, if the circadian rhythm is overly harmed, then the, the B vitamin cycles can't process as they uh, need to. And of course uh, that's responsible for creating glutathione um, and tons of other processes and other, um, you know, hormones and chemicals and things that keep the cells running functionally. So there are a lot well, of just- risk factors for the jaundice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that would even then make a case for circadian style eating as well. If we're speaking about the the health of the mother and, you know, obviously uh, my, my light from the sun is important, but also my food is important for that, that newborn for mm-hmm. my child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. again, the design is just incredible.
2: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Everything works together and it's all connected. And that's one of the things that's so interesting about all of this is that there are so many details that all add up to this whole that we are of the planet and life on this planet is, you know, by design, we need the sunlight, we need the connection to the earth and all of the seasonal cycles and the food that comes out of the land. and that. You know, when you look at it from a really holistic sense, it makes a lot of sense. So even though like I might use a lot of like detail words like, oh, what's this glutathione? What's this bilirubin? What is redox? Like all of these are just ways of looking at pieces that are all part of this greater whole that's our connection.
0: Right. Because before we knew all of the, you know, the intricate details and the different vitamins and minerals and stuff that is that is used in the body, we just yes. lived with nature and utilized what it gave us because. I don't know. I think we need nature more than it needs us sometimes that you know, we sometimes get in the way. So, uh yeah, I mean, what a what a great point to to really to to bring up. In in talking about pregnancy then, how do you see redox in pregnancy then for the the mother? I would Think yes, right? The right question.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, redox in pregnancy it is related to every complication that can arise in pregnancy, and so if you have a healthy pregnancy, then it's much more likely that your baby, you know, won't have jaundice afterwards. And then if your baby does have the jaundice, that it won't be something that cascades into um, causing the brain damage and like later on mood challenges and things. And so uh, redox in pregnancy, highly related to mitochondrial function. Um, like we were talking about the energetics and so the bioenergetics of the cells, um, especially in the placenta, having the energy that they need to do everything. So if you're looking at growth restriction, um, um, you know, usually challenges in redox, um, and circadian disruption, all of those things, um, And so also um, preeclampsia, also um, liver issues um, for the mom. Uh, That's one of the really big ones that can be super dangerous. And people don't realize that the liver is where vitamin D is processed. And so they talk about um, liver health. But that's actually like when you're getting sunshine and then that sunshine is going into your um, the sunshine vitamin is going through your liver to get to the rest of the systems. And that's that liver process that's dealing with the vitamin D is really vital to the liver's health. And, um, there are actually different pathways for the vitamin D that we eat compared with the vitamin D that we synthesize through our, our skin. And, and so that's another place where, um, they did a bunch of studies where they said, oh, vitamin D is so good for everyone because when we measure healthy people, they have healthy vitamin D levels. But then they didn't account for the two types of vitamin D. So then they said everyone should supplement. But then when they do clinical trials where they measure supplementation, they don't come out with the same effects as they saw when they were observing people who naturally had the high levels of vitamin D. So that's another, you know, just aspect of this, that it's the connection to the sun. So yes, we can eat The vitamin D when we eat our seafood. Um, however, when we're eating irradiated lanolin, um, which is what most vitamin D three supplements, like radiated lanolin or radiated lichen, neither of which are sit down and eat, (laughs) um, that, you know, to me, it's not very surprising that we don't see the health effects. Um, coming out of the clinical trials with those uh, dietary supplements compared with the sunshine. And of course, the sunshine is really good for setting the circadian rhythm and giving the body the timing that it needs um, to have a healthy pregnancy and to have the healthy melatonin cycle, because of course we make melatonin in our cells as well. So in pregnancy, um melatonin is really high and the placenta actually is giving some of that melatonin to the mom and that's part of how the mom gets the higher circulating melatonin that actually peaks at the time of birth is like a really high level of melatonin that um actually helps control the birth process um because the melatonin is synergistic with oxytocin in the uterine muscle and so higher circulating melatonin makes the contraction stronger um is helping deal with the redox, um, like in labors that have arrested, um, what do they call it? Arrested labor or stalled labor. When they measure that, there's actually a really high amount of oxidative stress in that uterus that is having the labor that's not progressing anymore. And so um, there are a lot of, like, kind of a new frontier of, like, if we're supplementing with Pitocin to help everything, then should we also be supplementing with melatonin because of the synergistic effect. There. I had that's, read that research as well. That's yeah.
0: incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had two that I'd not like. I'm going through all of my pregnancies, just so you know. Um, like <laughs> in our minds, we're like, okay.
2: uh-huh. and and tell me more. I'd to
0: yeah. Here. Yeah. So, you know, like I, I, like, you know, I know some things in like, you know, with one of my first with Down syndrome that, you know, I've heard many correlations to Down syndrome and B vitamins as well. Um, but you know, I was also I was also young. I was twenty four, and uh, so that the chances of all of that. But then it's like my next two. Then I had to have uh, pitocin because it just I had my water broken, then nothing else happened, and uh, so yeah. I mean, I just wish I knew what I knew now. But then after that, everything was my next two. My last two pregnancies were just. Just like they were wonderful. Like I never had a horrible pregnancy. I mean, clearly I kept having babies. so (laughs) Right. But yeah, I mean, it's just so interesting to just kind of like put the pieces together because we can't expect to do things to the body, you know, in medical intervention ways and not expect another reaction. Like I think that that's like when you take a pharmaceutical of some sort, you're going to get one reaction, but you're also going to get like two or three more reactions. So like ultimately you're just trying to improve that the outcome of everything. So, I mean, it's just great that you're doing this. This is amazing.
1: Yeah, this is super fascinating. And so you just recently released a course on newborn jaundice. So obviously moms who are worried about jaundice or have a history of jaundice, they should be taking that course while they're pregnant, right? To like be prepared. Right. Even even preparing for pregnancy, that could be- yes a good time to take the course. So really quickly before we wrap up, do you want to just kind of let us know like what's in the course, like not, not what's in it, but like, like the different modules, like what you would go through?
2: Yeah, definitely. So in the course, um, it's very high-sided. So everything that's in it is also connected to reviews, um, from doctors. Um, obviously, I'm not a doctor, but I'm putting all of this information together because I care and I'm interested and um, and want to help the, the babies. Like when I was in the NICU, like my baby just like skated through. When we left, they told me this is the shortest rap sheet we've ever seen on a baby, um, you know, checking out. Like it just, we barely even needed to be there. But during that time, I saw like they were dealing with one pound premature babies, um, you know, just in the whole place and seeing them under the billy lights where they put them in the incubator and they're just blasting with light and they have to have the little goggles and the parents are, you know, nowhere to be seen. The parents aren't a part of that process and it just broke my heart. And so when I learned that there were things that we could do to keep families together through that process, um, like um, they found that it's just as effective to have intermittent light therapy rather than the full light therapy. Or Tina, you mentioned the billy blankets that you could have a blanket that's giving these lights while the baby is skin to skin with the mom. Um, so in the course, the last module, I think is maybe the most important, which is for advocating for a baby who is in that place of needing treatment. And so in that sense, I think it's also um, valuable for caregivers who are maybe entrenched in the the model, the conventional model, that it would be good for them to also come and see this research um, and think about what they could do. But definitely for moms, any mom who has had a history of it. um, So in the course, I kind of go step by step through all of the different things that we know about jaundice and the different things that we know about clearing it. Like you mentioned constipation. Is one of the the first things that you try to overcome. So, of course, relaxing and trying to help the baby move it through is really important. Um, And then, once we get through all of the different ways that we know in conventional medicine, as well as what we know from applying quantum biology in the redox, then I turn it into three different protocols. One of the protocols is for pregnancy. One is for a baby who is presenting with jaundice at home and the other is for advocating for a baby who's presenting with jaundice inside of an institutional context. So those three modules really sum up everything into actionable pieces that families can take and that care providers should know about for the families to do everything that they can to prevent that need to go into the incubator for the jaundice, or if it gets really bad and the lights aren't doing it, then to have blood transfusions and all of that, like it's really well known that the more interventions for jaundice that there are, the higher likelihood of there being adverse outcomes for that baby. And then inside of the course, if you sign up for it, you also get my um, circadian pregnancy workshop, which is a three hour video course that is going even more into everything we know about circadian rhythms and pregnancy. So it's a really good deal. Uh, to take that course. And you get both of those um, things, as well as the archive of all of the other um, blog posts that I've written about related subjects. So it's a huge resource. Uh, I'm really excited about (laughs) being able to give it uh, to people. um, And yeah, for uh, this to hopefully help the babies have better times. Get off to that, you know, really powerful start, and be there together with their families, and have as much time doing the skin to skin and and happy times as possible.
0: Yeah, that's that's a, that's just awesome. I mean, you're definitely a, a wealth of knowledge, and surely appreciate because I Teen and I talk that the the ultimate goal here is we're just changing the health trajectory, and you know, clearly before pregnancy, during, and then that after it's just it's stressful, all of it's stressful, you know? And so if this is one thing that people can ease their minds with then wonderful job. So thank you for sharing <laughs> all of you. your information with us. So tell yeah, us yeah, where definitely. we, yeah. Tell us where we can find you. I had uh, mentioned in the brighter beginning. Days, but-
2: yeah. Uh, brighter days, darker nights is what I'm calling my publication. So you can get there um, www.brighterdaysdarkernights.com. And that's where you can sign up and, um, and you know, check it out. Um, I'm also on Instagram as at brighterdays.darkernights and um, I have a link tree that you can find there that goes out to my other work. Like I said, I uh, really enjoy teaching and um, like I did a really great workshop. The workshop that's recorded was for a doula agency over in DC who wanted their doulas to be informed of this because they can help um, Uh, teach their clients. And that also can be helpful for people who are doing the work of birth work. Uh, They face a lot of circadian disruption in their own work lives. And so knowing how to heal themselves um, can really help get around the burnout issues. Like most midwives, um, a few of them will continue to be long-term, but a lot of them, they spend several years in training. And then within seven years in the industry, they burn out because You know, what do we think is going to happen when we have people driving around at night and going through like these hospital environments, all of the bright lights and um, yeah, the crappy food and eating and it's a really stressful, isolating career. And so having the circadian rhythm piece to do what we can um, is really, I think, important because it's like I said, it affects the the moms who are going through it, but it also affects the care providers because the care providers are in it day in, day out. Um, and so some of the like research about the phototherapy lights is like, what's the effect on the RNs who are delivering this phototherapy and being around these incubators um, all that time and overnight and everything. So yeah, it's I've definitely, never thought about that. Yeah. It's something we have to look at it. Like I was saying, we have all these details, but it points to a bigger hole and the hole doesn't stop just with the moms and the family. It actually like goes out to like these individual workplaces and then the community um, and global population as a whole, because everyone has to kind of be at their best in order to deliver their best to the world. So it's it starts, it's small, but it goes big. Um, in one of the modules in the quantum biology collectives course, uh, Dr. Stillman said, little hinges swing big doors. And I thought that was just such a big, a, a powerful metaphor for the work that we're doing in quantum biology, and each of us in our own little ways, with from you know within our own homes, in terms of the effects that spiral outward. You know, how are our children going to impact the world as they go forward? And
1: we're seeing like the snowball effect too. I think right now because quantum biology five years ago and quantum biology right now, like it is gaining traction. It's it's really exciting, and I think that we're like you said, like it's spiraling outward, and it's going to be better for everybody as a whole.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate your podcast. I've listened to some episodes um, that you've done so far. I know you're kind of just firing up, and it's but you're you know doing a great job of um, bringing up really important topics in a really fun. Conversational way, and so I appreciate the work that you guys are doing too. And also um, on your Instagram, the education pieces—you guys are really great at breaking down these details and 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 then tying them to specific ways that they can be applied. And it's really impressive.
0: Thank you. We appreciate. Thank, you. Thank that. you for all your work. So, any last thoughts for anybody? Um, I think just go outside. I agree. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Take care, Bye. everyone. Bye.